0: Hello and welcome to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. I'm an obstetrician, gynecologist, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a small business owner, I'm a Catholic, I'm a lot of things. But right now on this show, I'm your host as we talk about really all things women's health. Whether it's childbirth to infertility, Pregnancy loss to menopause, homeschooling to personal trainers, it doesn't matter. If it affects women and their health, it's on our agenda. And joining me today is a delightful mother of two whose story I know that you're going to find fascinating and really unique. Um, Christy Cochran is her name, and Christy's going to share with us her pregnancy and health journey from the perspective of a mother dealing with a chronic illness. Uh, in this case, insulin-dependent diabetes, a diagnosis that she received as a young girl. She's going to share with us what it's like to grow up with this serious, often life-limiting condition, but more specifically, the obstacles that she and her husband faced when they were deciding to begin their family. So get comfortable as we get to know a lot more about this young woman and her journey to build a family. We'll be right back with all things women's health. Christy, welcome to All Things Women's Health.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Thanks for having the courage to come on and talk about yourself. Yeah. Not what most people want to do. (laughs) Depends on the day. So you've got a fascinating story. I know that Mm -hmm. our listeners don't yet know that, but they will soon. And really, our theme today is what it's like to live with a chronic illness, but then more specific, what it's like to undergo and plan Uh, pregnancy with a chronic illness. Yeah. So maybe for perspective, let's roll back to your childhood uh, and talk to us about how you came to find out about this condition.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, In 2008, so I was 15, um, I was having a bunch of, like, Hunger, thirst, um, losing weight, and by hunger and thirst I mean like excessive hunger and thirst, um, losing Good, weight. My teenagers have that too, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> excessive hunger and thirst, um, losing weight, got to blurred vision, having starting to have like itchy hands and itchy feet, um, like memory fog, um, just crazy, crazy stuff that I was like thinking am I going through like a really cron- a really serious um, viral illness? Um, and then I just kept getting worse and worse. And we had some friends um, whose nephew had been diagnosed with type one diabetes. And hmm. she said, I think you need to have Christie's blood sugar tested. Um, and I actually also at the time had been reading a book that was one of those like um, American Girl Today books that had a story of a girl who had type one diabetes. And I told my mom, I think I have this. And she was like, no honey like, you know and I get it at the time like I'm just thinking like this is this kind of describes me um, but a couple weeks after that I think we had my blood sugar tested by somebody at our church and the meter just read high and I don't know if anyone knows but essentially if it reads high there's just like it's, it's, it's way number. yeah it's it's way higher than probably 400s at least
0: now do you remember mm-hmm. in that time period did you have encounters with healthcare providers Trying to figure out what was wrong?
1: No, because we hadn't really gone anywhere yet. It was more like my mom was like, let's give you protein powder to make sure you're gaining weight. And let's make sure sure we're maintaining your diet and, like, um, getting you good, adequate sleep at night. So we were trying all the things at home. And we had – I think we had an appointment scheduled. Um, But it was kind of like my friends were like, it's too far out. Like, you need to test your blood sugar now. Like, this is getting drastic. And it was like I was going to the bathroom every five minutes. I was like couldn't stay awake. Like – Constantly telling my friends like I'm just so exhausted, and I'm again I'm a teenager, so like going through things, yeah. but like not not in that level. Um, and my dad, I remember my dad telling me like I hugged you and I could feel your ribs, like and yeah. it was just scary. Um, and so yeah, they made a red high, <laughs> and they said the lady who attested my blood sugar said go to Lutheran Hospital in Fort Wayne immediately, like wow. just go, don't wait for a doctor's appointment. And it was essentially that night. It was a Sunday night. I was there for several days. I I knew like I knew. And so so, you got
0: admitted as a teenager. Yes.
1: Yeah. I got admitted immediately. They, it was one of those like, I didn't even, I don't even remember the moment that they said you have type one diabetes because it was just, I already knew when the meter read high. Like, I already knew before that. And I think some of that was like, god honestly giving me protection from like this drastic like i had already prepared and also i felt so bad that i was really glad to start feeling good Uh, and i didn't know how bad i felt until actually started the insulin in my body i remember telling my mom the next morning when i woke up like i feel like i have like like water back in my cheeks, like I was so dehydrated, and I was just losing like pigment to my skin, like it was so crazy. So I started just to, to feel like alive again the next day. So you learning know, listening how
0: to listening to you as a parent, yeah. I think, I think that's every parent's nightmare, mm-hmm. is that something might actually be wrong. Yeah, is it serious or is it just a paper cut? Yeah, and most of the time it's a paper cut. So we as parents tend, we tend to minimize. I certainly have done that with my own children and it turned out to be something more serious, but nothing as serious as this. So that yeah. had to be tough on your parents.
1: Yeah. I think in the, the moments of realizing that it was an actual diagnosis, it was harder on them than it was on me wow. because I had already come to terms with it in the back of my brain and they were just now realizing like this is really bad. And also, and we've talked about it since then, but feeling guilty for not thinking of it serious in the beginning, you know, more seriously, Um, which of course I didn't blame them for that. And now as a parent, of course I would do the same, like, oh, you probably just have a cold and then finding out it's drastic. But yeah, they were, um, they were awesome in dealing with it with me from then the get go on and helping me kind of recover.
0: I mean, maybe you were an exception, but I would make a blanket statement and say most 14, 15 year old young girls are not the picture of self confidence at times. Sure. Yeah. Do you remember what it felt like to get this serious named condition?
1: Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was so glad to have a diagnosis of something that was medical because I had so many people who I didn't know were actually worried that I was either like anorexic or bulimic at the oh, time. Sure. And I was like, guys, I'm eating everything in sight. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. It, this doesn't have to do with me. It's it's physical health that I'm struggling with. So to have something that was a, an illness actually released me from judgment that yeah. I felt like I was feeling a little bit later on of people thinking that it was like self-inflicted. Sort of
0: validating um, in a sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was validating to the struggle leading up to that. Um, and so it definitely in the beginning was hard for me to accept like, oh, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. But the fact that it made me feel so much better, it just, became a part of my life like I instantly knew that I will feel good when I take insulin for my food Wow! and I did
0: so what were the next phases like you get into the hospital you get a diagnosis yeah uh, the mystery solved Mm -hmm. what happened after that
1: Um, It was two days of education on like this is what you you need to look for when you're looking for – it was very basic in the beginning obviously, Mm -hmm. but like food is going to do this to your blood sugar. Insulin will do this to your blood sugar. You have to make sure you take this amount for this amount of food. And it's trial and error. I mean there was no blanket in the beginning like you're all fixed. It was go back to the endocrinologist day after day, week after week to try to figure out what my body required for insulin because it wasn't just – everyone requires this amount of insulin. It was how does your body respond to an apple versus how does that person's body respond to an apple? Yeah. And how does it respond to an apple when you ran a mile before that or when you didn't get a good night's sleep? It's all different.
0: Now, speaking of that, mm-hmm. were you involved in sports?
1: I was not at the time. I was uh, involved in dance, which it did yeah. it did um, affect my blood sugar. And I already had felt that because I would have times where I would feel really good after dance because mm-hmm. it would help bring my blood sugar down, and I didn't realize that it was doing that. Wow. Yeah.
0: So you you learn about this diagnosis, you mm-hmm. begin to to live with it. Yeah. Um, what happens after that?
1: Yeah. Essentially, from there on out, it, it sounds really silly, I think, for me to say, but it's true. I didn't deal with a dramatic amount of emotion for this diagnosis. Mm. I, I felt bad. I got the diagnosis and I felt better. And I just chugged on with life. Mm. And for some reason in that time frame, like the the time frame before trying to have kids, I remember thinking like, this affects me. I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. No one else has to worry about it. Not that I didn't oh. want other people to let, to let other people in, but I just wanted to handle it. So I didn't bother anyone else. And I didn't realize how much that, played into how I would feel as a mother Uh someday because it affects my children greatly. Mm -hmm. Um, From the moment I tried to have kids, it affects my family. But I didn't deal with that yet. So I kept thinking, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I deal with my diabetes just fine Uh until it slapped me in the face that my diabetes will affect my future family.
0: Now, I think it's fair to say, I mean, not to pick on diabetics, Mm -hmm. but I think it's probably fair to say that denial, which is what you're describing to a degree... And diabetes are very common (laughs) together because it's not something you can see. Mm -hmm. You don't have a label on that anybody can tell, including you. Yeah. And so I know through the years, uh, I've struggled to help patients sort of come to grips with you can pretend that you don't have this. Yeah. And there's going to be consequences. Yeah. yeah. And
1: I'm very thankful that I never I never walked through a I'm going to pretend like I don't have this and uh, don't keep myself healthy, mm-hmm. but it was I'm going to pretend like I don't have this and suffer silently while everyone else thinks I'm fine. Wow. Again, not knowingly because I would have said, "Oh yes, I let people in." But I didn't want to inconvenience anyone with yeah. it. Yeah.
0: How do you think your mother would describe those early years with the disease and the diagnosis
1: yeah that's interesting i don't know because i think um i don't know if this has any anything to do with the fact that i'm like a firstborn child but i really tried hard to just like make it my own and let let her Uh, not have to help me kind of thing mm -hmm. um which you know to a fault to a fault because i would say like there were times that she probably wanted to help me more because Mm -hmm. she's my mom and she wanted to care for me in those moments and i was just like nope i'm fine i remember the very first time i took insulin by myself because she did it for me for a little while probably several weeks and she was on the phone with somebody and i was just like i'm hungry and i need to take my insulin and i just Uh. remember doing it and from that moment on i never and no one else ever did it but it was good for me to have that like take charge moment of it for myself too
0: do you think uh you would have described yourself in retrospect anyway as Mm -hmm what I might think of as a strong-willed, independent child. Yes. Was that your temperament to begin with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Definitely very, like, um, I wanted to please people as well. So it wasn't, like, strong-willed in the sense of, like, I'm going to, like, be rebellious. But it was strong-willed as, like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to take charge of this. Wow. Yeah. Which I think plays into my pregnancy journey as well. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, let's keep moving along the timeline. Yeah, yeah. What happens after this?
1: So... I would say over the years of being um, a teenager and early adult with type 1 diabetes, there was just this like um, constant fear placed in me that I, at the time, obviously wasn't looking to have kids yet. But there was a constant fear by every medical professional that I had encountered that someday when you want to have kids, this is going to be hard. You will face infertility. You will face loss. You will face hardship. And Mm. you may not be able to do it. And there wasn't ever a... But you can if you try or you can because there are healthy diabetics. Yeah. There wasn't that um, at all placed within me. And so I didn't realize at the time, obviously, that entering into parenthood, I was already fearful. And I'm sure everyone goes into parenthood fearful. But sure I was unique. Yes, I was completely. You
0: know, fearful. We should probably pause for listeners that are not familiar with diabetes mm-hmm. and point out, you know, your type of diabetes called type one diabetes, Mm -hmm. sometimes called juvenile onset diabetes because it tends to show itself in young kids, Mm -hmm. but sometimes even much younger than your diagnosis. But the the pancreas is attacked by the immune system. And so the special cells called the beta cells, Mm -hmm. they stop making insulin. So you have the complete absence of insulin in its its worst form. And the issues that you're describing, chronic, Chronic exposure to very high blood sugar Mm -hmm. in the absence of insulin causes all of these other problems. Kidney disease and heart disease and neurologic disease. And, you know, the most common thing people probably could identify are, you know, problems in the limbs Mm -hmm. with nerve damage uh, and amputations in the elderly. All of those things are very, very common. So I'm sure your caregivers were thinking as they're looking at a 17, 18-year-old, that's the life that's ahead of her. Yeah, She shouldn't even be thinking about pregnancy.
1: Right, right. You should yeah. just make sure that you can maintain yourself, let alone, you know, maintain other children. Yeah. Um, and And I understand that because I didn't know very many people with diabetes. And the people that I knew at the time with diabetes had either type 2 or really, really uncontrolled diabetes, which yeah. also played fear in the back of me because I was like – what am I going to do to not be like that? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to lose my limbs. I don't want to die early just because I have this diagnosis. Um, And that, you know, that's something that I'll deal with for the rest of my life. Because um, even though I don't have mass amounts of other conditions, you know, that are severe at this point, point. one autoimmune condition can lead to multiple autoimmune conditions, and I now have more than one. So yeah. in the beginning, it was just type 1 diabetes that I was dealing with, and now it's four different autoimmune conditions.
0: You know, uh, that's probably another important point that we should make for listeners is yeah. that type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition, mm-hmm. and I don't think most people necessarily intuitively right. think of it that way. They tend to think probably of type 2 diabetes. Yeah where you, you make insulin, mm. you, f- you make a lot of insulin, it just doesn't work very well. Yeah. So you take medications to make your insulin work better. Yeah. But type 1 diabetes is in fact an autoimmune disease like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or something like that where your immune system is really attacking a part of you, uh, which is a bizarre way to think of it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah, which definitely led to, once I learned more about that and learned what autoimmune conditions were, led to basically me me having my own fear about my body is attacking itself. So. How is my body going to sustain itself to have a baby? Like there's no, there's no way, my body can't even make insulin. My body, you know, so it led to the underlying, like my body is broken. So why Uh would I be able to, I I tell people all the time, like, you know, as a woman, you're created to do this, but I didn't necessarily believe that I was because I was broken. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's profound at any age, Mm -hmm. but it had to be particularly profound as a young woman, still not mature and and sort of emotionally formed. Yeah. Um, do you remember struggling with that identity? And, you know, it sounds like listening to you that you felt called to marriage and motherhood early yeah, in life. definitely. This must have created sort of a conflict. Maybe I'm not.
1: Yeah, uh, it's funny because early on it didn't. And I think I just, I don't know if I either just like put my head down and ran with the diagnosis to say, well, this is what I have to do for myself now. Or I didn't want to face it until it was time. Either mm. one. And I don't know if it was good or bad. But I didn't have any fear about it leading into motherhood until all of a sudden I had the fear. Wow. And it was like, I'm glad that I didn't struggle with fear, you know, leading up to it. Because I knew, and maybe this is just the Lord's assurance, I knew that I was called to be a wife and a mom. So I knew that I was going to be a wife and a mom. That's just how it was. I didn't have any fear that I couldn't be because I knew that I was called to that. Wow. However, I didn't know what that journey was going to look like. Mm. And I didn't know how hard it would be. And I didn't know what emotions I would face. And I didn't know at the time then, am I called to biological motherhood? Uh, sure. I don't know. I just know I'm called to be a wife and a mom. So... We'll see how that so goes. So at,
0: at some point in this journey, yeah. um, you meet your now husband. Yes. Tell yes. us about that.
1: Um, we actually started dating like 13 years ago this weekend, this past <laughs> weekend. Um, and yeah, he's he's amazing. Luckily, we already knew each other. So I didn't have to like go into a dating relationship saying like, here's an illness that I have. He oh. already knew me um, just from we attended church together. We went to church camp together and stuff. And so I, I'm very thankful that I didn't have to say like, This is something that you have to adjust to, you know, to learn about me because it's hard. Um, He just knew and he kind of just knew how to intuitively take care of me without me having to ask, which is beautiful because I don't like to ask. Um, I don't like to ask someone to help me. And he knows how to just kind of come alongside me and say, like, not like overbearingly, like "Are you okay?" But like, <laughs> what can I do for you in this moment? Do you need juice? Do you need this, you know, for low blood sugar or whatever? Um, he's honestly the best, the best person in in terms of taking care of me that I could ask to partner alongside of me <laughs> with it because he's not overbearing. Because overbearing yeah. to me gets overwhelming to me, and I shut down. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, "Nope, I don't need any help." And then I try to deal with it on my own. So you the know, fact that he it's just knew, interesting
0: it's hearing you describe that because you know, in, in talking with patients through the years. Mm-hmm. With chronic illnesses, a lot of them will describe, and in, in one form or another, this concept in there and their sort of dating years mm-hmm. of of wanting to say, effectively, it's nice to meet you. I'm Christy. I have diabetes. Yeah. Um, that it has to define you and define the early parts of your relationships, you got to skip that, uh, because you'd known your soon to be husband already.
1: Yeah, and I'm thankful. I actually remember the very first time when I started a job and thought to myself, these are the first people that I've met that don't already know me. Like I've met other people, but these are the first people yeah. that I'm walking with in daily life in a job that I have to tell now, I'm mm. taking insulin and this is going to be what you see me do. And I'm not a drug addict, you know, like, <laughs> it's scary. Um, and so that was, I was just thankful that I did not have to do that with him. And he already knew. Yeah. And it was helpful. It was helpful to have that.
0: So do you feel like those early, maybe premarital and marital conversations mm-hmm. about childbearing Do you feel like those were different because of your diabetes, or do you think they were like everyone else's?
1: Honestly, yeah, they weren't. I'm very thankful. Um, We really just kind of approached it with the same outlook as we would have approached it if I didn't have a chronic illness. Uh Because, again, we both knew we were called to be parents so it was just now there i will say there were a lot of conversations on because we we knew we wanted to do foster care at some point as well so it was like do we start with that Mm. and wait to make sure that i'm you know perfectly healthy which again who can be perfectly healthy before they get pregnant but do we wait to make sure that everything is good um or do we do we jump in with faith Mm. knowing that like god is going to bless this journey as we try um and so I think that we navigated the conversation similarly to what we would without, but there was still just fear that was placed in us um, yeah. from every person that I saw, even in those moments of early family planning. Yeah. What are you going to do because you're diabetic and make sure that you don't have a baby right now?
0: Sure. Sometimes truly. sometimes the intersection of faith and medicine is beautiful.
1: Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so, what were you hearing in those early years yeah. uh, from those of us uh, in healthcare?
1: Yeah, well, Early on, it was the people that I was surrounding myself with weren't necessarily people that I chose. These are the people that are going to help me deliver my baby someday. It was just yeah. these are the people that are caring for me right now. Mm. So I knew in the moment of like, it's time for us to start looking for our team that's going to care for us as mm. we want to walk in pr- into, into pregnancy. The people I was with are not the people that I wanted to be with, wow. um, just because they had already instilled fear in me. So I said, all right, before we get pregnant, we're going to look and we're going to find our care team because I have to make sure that I'm comfortable with the people that are caring for me before I can even think about bringing another life into this world. Um,
0: And that's not, I think it's mm -hmm. fair to say, that's not a usual internal conversation that takes place. No. Now, it probably should be. Yeah, um, for sure. But you were in a unique position. So uh, it's fair to say you took a very proactive approach. Yeah to getting pre-pregnancy care, you might say. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think a lot of that, even though it wasn't great, a lot of it was because I had walked in so much fear Mm -hmm. that I wanted to make sure I wasn't fearful with the people who were caring for me. Um, And I actually didn't know if there was anyone out there that would make me feel that way. I Mm -hmm. thought, well, I'll just look and I'll go through my options and I'll see if there are people that will make me feel calm and comfortable about this. Um, We we are already several months into trying to get pregnant, and so we were already walking in that fear Uh of like, are we gonna be able to do this? Um, when we started, essentially like, interv- I say interviewing and it wasn't really, it was just going to appointments <laughs> with providers saying like, "How I'm type one diabetic, what would you do for me? Like, how would you care for me? Yeah. Um, and I had planned on seeing three different people and you were the first one I saw. <laughs> and it's really interesting because I've told this story to so many people but never with you <laughs> across from me. But um, it was a life changing moment because you were the first medical professional to tell me that I could do it. Wow. Um, very first so to walk out of your office feeling like i have the capability to care for myself and have a healthy pregnancy with this illness yeah it was just not told to me and i i don't blame the other people for not telling that to me because i understand that they were also looking for me looking out for me and they were trying to create this like um awareness Mm. of the illness that I had but I was already aware <laughs> and I wanted to sometimes say like I know guys like don't yeah. keep keep placing this fear in me I need you to lift me up and build me up and say that I can do this
0: I remember in medical training mm. at, at some point through the years exper- listening to other people have that conversation yeah. and it always made me th- it, it always reminded me of sort of this goofy analogy of someone is 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 sitting in front of a physician who doesn't have legs mm-hmm. and they say, Well, you know, I want to run a marathon and the physician says, Well, you know you don't have legs. Well of course they know I yes. don't have legs. <laughs> You're not gonna tell them something they don't know. Right. And that's what I sort of hear from your story too. Yeah. You were just looking for somebody to, to understand that you understood yeah. your condition.
1: Yeah. I understood um what I what it would take for me to walk through that. Yeah. Um but I didn't have anyone to walk through it with me. Like it was like, I understood, but everyone was also too scared to walk through it. It was like medical providers themselves were like, yep, don't do it.
0: What I remember about you um, is sometimes you'll, as a physician, you'll meet someone with a serious illness that is very clearly living in denial of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe, I'm not sure denial is the right word, but they've put it in a place in their brain where they've just sort of decided it's not relevant. Mm Um, And that can be really challenging. But I distinctly remember meeting you and feeling like you're not in denial of your condition. If anything, you're in complete and total control. Mm -hmm. And that I remember being so sort of stricken with this, this feeling of, um, you've got your diabetes, it doesn't have you. Yeah. And and I don't remember meeting many, particularly young people, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember meeting many like that. Yeah. Uh,
1: I remember you saying that too, because you were like, yeah, I think that I have confidence in you because you have confidence <laughs> in you. And I was like, well, I'm glad that you feel that <laughs> way, because I didn't necessarily feel like I had that confidence. Yeah. But I had walked out this assurance that, again, I don't want that diagnosis to like define me Mm. but it makes me who i am i i have everything that i have now is because i've walked paths that have gotten me to where i am because of the diabetes honestly like it's just it's shaped my whole my whole health it's shaped my career it's shaped everything which is it's humbling
0: so we started doing some things yes um walk listeners through what what those next few months were like.
1: Yeah, well, so it took us six months still after that to get pregnant. Um, But you had said, like, essentially, we'll see you in a year at the mark of not being pregnant or we'll see you before then pregnant. Uh, And it was right before that year mark um, that I ended up getting pregnant. It's actually kind of fun. I ended up with a kidney stone. This is not fun, but. (laughs) (laughs) And the way I found out is they went in to do an ultrasound, and x-ray, to see if my kidney stone had been gone, Uh, you know, had passed. And she said, is there a chance you might be pregnant? And I was like, well, yeah, but like, no, No. because at this point we had been trying for a year. (laughs) And she came back in the room and said, you're pregnant. And I just immediately was like, I had no idea. You know, I started crying. I wish my husband was with me at that moment because he wasn't. Um, But that was just a beautiful like light surrounding this whole, like another illness thing that I had had walking through kidney stones and stuff like that. Um, And immediately I was just like, oh my gosh, like I had already been walking through like tight control of my blood sugars prior to that um, because preconception is even more crucial, um, which I don't think that's talked about a lot either. Um, And so I tried really hard to make sure my preconception numbers were controlled and everything was good. But honestly, I had lived most of my life trying to make sure that everything was controlled. And I'm not to say that that's because I'm doing a great job. I think some of that is just truly out of fear.
0: Yeah. And, and I think with diabetes in particular, but a lot of chronic illnesses, Yeah. the the desire for pregnancy can become a huge motivator. Yeah, um, for sure. And for listeners, you know, the, the success of pregnancy, whether it's birth defects or just outcomes in general, yeah. is directly related to how good the diabetes is being managed on the day of conception. Yes, uh, exactly. And the months leading up to that. Yeah. Um, so you were... You were working on that, but you didn't have much to do. Right. Uh, yeah. And then you find out you're pregnant. Yeah. Do you remember if there was a sense of fear at all of, oh, no, what have I done?
1: Yeah. It wasn't a fear of of what have we done, but will this really happen? Yeah. I'm pregnant. And so that part worked. <laughs> yeah. But will the rest of it work? Yeah. Um, and I just had to continually, every day, just trust that God has a plan Mm -hmm. and he wanted me to be pregnant. And for however long that was, I wanted to walk through that with grace. And that was terrifying because I truly did have the fear still in the back of my brain that every day it was going to end because that was what was told to me. So you'll have miscarriages, you'll have preterm labor, there'll be birth defects. Yes. You'll develop all of these other things, you know, preeclampsia, all of these other things that are going to happen to you that never happened. That I kept just waiting day after day for, you know, God to lead me through it all, as scary as it was.
0: It's a tricky thing in medicine, um, yeah. because people can say things that are factually correct, yeah, but convey them in a way that it has a radically different meaning, yeah. than if conveyed in a different way, yeah. Um, sure. I mean, you know, thinking about your situation, to say that you could have a miscarriage—that's mm-hmm. factually correct. Sure. Yeah. But to convey that I think you're going to have a miscarriage, so don't get excited. Yeah. I think that's almost criminal to do yeah. that to somebody's heart. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's almost as though when you say goodbye to somebody and they get in their car and at the end of the driveway you say, well, you know, you could get right. killed. Right. Um, most of us don't do that.
1: Right. Yeah. But
0: in medicine, too many of us do that too yeah. too often. Yeah. Uh, instead of looking for the the half Full glass right. when you look for the half empty.
1: Yeah. And that definitely does not play a part in championing, championing anyone yeah. to move forward with like um, confidence in themselves yeah. at all. Yeah.
0: So I don't recall, but mm-hmm. um, let's, let's pause and talk about technology a little bit. Yeah, yeah. In that first pregnancy, mm-hmm. did you have an insulin pump? I did
1: not, no. Or
0: a continuous monitor?
1: No, I didn't have anything yet. Um, I just had a blood sugar monitor that I would prick my finger with um four plus times a day (laughs) yeah it ended up being about 12 times a day in the beginning because I was so paranoid um and insulin injections with a needle and so I in the very beginning which now having (laughs) a pump and a continuous blood sugar monitor I'm like how did I do that oh my word but I did that all the way through my first pregnancy halfway through my first pregnancy I got a continuous blood sugar monitor Um, I was waiting to be approved for that and I think being pregnant actually helped me become approved for that which was wonderful that was life changing mm. to be able to see my blood sugar constantly. I'll never go back. Like mm. I cannot imagine not knowing what my blood sugar is at any moment. Yeah. Um, but I actually did not have an insulin pump until after both of my pregnancies. Yeah. So I'm here now thinking like, oh, my word, how much easier would it be yeah. with a the technology
0: pump. has so radically changed yeah. the way an insulin dependent diabetic can live yeah. um, and live well, yeah. that it, it's hard for me because I've spent more of my career pre diabetic technology than post-diabetic technology, but it's hard to remember what Mm -hmm. we used to do, Um, and the management was just not as good. You were up and down and up and down. That's not good for pregnancy. That's not good for life. No, yeah. Um, But yeah, part of the amazing part of your story is you did so well, even without the technology.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that is funny because there are a lot of times where I feel very weak with this illness, but that, looking back, makes me feel very strong (laughs) Uh because I'm like, the fact that I was able to manage my blood sugar well without the technology is insane to me because even now with the technology, sometimes it's hard. You know, so I'm like, that is crazy, but that's just how dedicated <laughs> that I was to yeah. trying to make sure that everything went as well as it could possibly go.
0: How did you deal with um, what I think universally experienced by most pregnant women—food yeah. cravings? Yeah. Because for you, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. How? What kind of cravings did you have, yeah. and how did you cope with that?
1: Interestingly enough, I didn't have any that necessarily were dramatic in the sense of affecting my blood sugar, except for the opposite way, like a food aversions where I would yeah. feel like I, my blood sugar was constantly plummeting oh. because I wasn't eating enough. And not only was I not eating the amount that I should have been for a normal person, but a pregnant person, like I should have increased that, yeah. um, especially in my second pregnancy. I, my first, I was not very sick at all. Um, and I'm very thankful because I was able to walk through that with pretty much just tight control of diabetes, not dealing with a ton of morning sickness or anything. But in my second, I dealt with a lot of, a lot of morning sickness, Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, a lot of ups and downs of, um, mental health as well, because I struggled with, um, is this just hard for me because it's my second child is, Mm -hmm. does everyone walk through this or is this hard for me because I have a chronic illness or, you know, am I worse this time than I was last time? Can I do it? Um,
0: It's hard, I think, for most people to appreciate that Mm -hmm. for the insulin-dependent diabetic, nausea and vomiting can be life threatening. Yeah. If you've yeah. taken your insulin mm-hmm. and you can't keep food down, yeah. you could find yourself in an insulin-induced coma yep. pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so then it becomes more than just food aversion. Yeah. You have to put some food in. Yeah. Uh, that and can that be played, challenging.
1: Yeah, that played a lot of roles of fear within me and again definitely through my second. So my first pregnancy I didn't have I had the normal fears with what would happen at the end, but the second pregnancy mm-hmm. I just constantly, I mean, I remember multiple times sitting cross-legged on my kitchen floor, crying while sipping juice because I thought if I throw this up, I might pass out and no one will find me. And I have a baby. Now I had a second, you know, or a first (laughs) child walking around. Um, And so the fear of like, how can I make sure that I'm not only like thriving, but like just surviving this Mm. um, was terrifying. It was terrifying. Let's
0: back up a little to your first birth. Yeah. So, you go through pregnancy, it goes really remarkably well, yeah. you might say. Yeah. Um, what were your feelings as you sort of? think about the end of the pregnancy because we beat you up pretty good mm-hmm. with all of the testing and all of the monitoring. Yeah. Help people understand what that was like.
1: Yeah, so lots of testing. I went through, I would. I was probably in the office two or three times a week towards yes. the end. Um, non-stress tests to monitor baby's heart rate and, um, and you probably know how to explain those more, but, and biophysical ultrasounds to make sure like the amniotic fluid is good and baby's responding and breathing yeah. and Because growing. listeners,
0: the challenge, one of the many challenges, mm-hmm with an insulin-dependent diabetic is the risk of stillbirth.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and I'm old enough to remember 34, 35 weeks mm-hmm. we used to deliver those babies yeah. because the risk of stillbirth would climb so rapidly yeah. that while they were premature, it was worth the risk of the prematurity yeah. because the risk of stillbirth is so great. Yeah. Now we've gotten much better at that, but the way we've gotten better at that is what you're describing, the essentially living in our office with every other day testing yeah. to constantly say is the baby okay yeah can we go another day
1: yeah yeah and the the can we go another day thing was very f- also you know I was also fearful because it, every yeah. time I came in it was am I is this going to be the day where they say something's wrong you yeah. know is this going to be the day where we choose to the baby's better outside of me than inside yeah. and it's funny because I had a lot of friends telling me um man I just remember towards the end feeling that like oh I'm a little bit nervous because the baby outside of me isn't as safe as the baby inside. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't relate to that at all. Like, Uh, as soon as I hold that baby in my arms, I'm gonna say, I now no longer affect their health. uh, Now I do, because I'm their mother. But everything I ate.
0: But what a bizarre reversal yeah. of the usual. Yeah. The usual feelings. Yeah,
1: which definitely caused a lot of fear towards that. The last few weeks, everything I would eat, I would be watching my yeah. blood sugar to make sure I didn't go up. And I would be fearful that like how much, you know, I didn't know enough then to know how much high blood sugar is going to yeah. cause an issue. Is it one spike or is it riding high for hours? You know, I was fearful of that.
0: So what were your feelings about, um, your vision for how you wanted your labor and birth to go yeah. in that first pregnancy.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to go, go back and just say too that another reason why it was so awesome to come into your practice is because before that I had been told essentially like you'll probably have a C-section at thirty-seven oh, sure. weeks, right. and I was like, why? Like, <laughs> why would I just blanketly be given a C-section? Because that's quite the opposite of what I wanted. I wanted yeah. the most natural experience I could get, knowing that. I was insulin-dependent diabetic, so knowing that it probably wasn't the case for me to have the most natural, mm. but knowing that I was capable of it, knowing that I could if I kept my blood sugars controlled and there wasn't going to be a medical indication that I would need a C-section, why would we just do that?
0: Where do you think that desire that you have slash mm. had for as natural a pos- as possible birth Where do you think you got that? What 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 gave you that sense?
1: I would say probably first and foremost, my mom, she, she had my brother and I in the hospital, but then she had my sister at home. Ah. And so knowing that she was able to do, you know, things totally naturally, um, kind of just like, there's an empowerment to that, to feel like you're entering into motherhood, um, doing it all on your own. And so the feeling of having that taken away from me for some reason just felt wrong. Mm. Like, Not because if there was medical indication, I wouldn't want that, but because if there wasn't, then why would you take that from me? Like if there is no reason and I've worked my butt off this whole pregnancy (laughs) to make sure that everything is good, then why all of a sudden would it not be just because we're afraid? Uh, um And so that was really challenging for me to, to walk through when multiple providers prior to meeting you were just like, this is going to be yeah. dangerous and we'll have to, to give you a C-section. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know why that would be the case.
0: But, you know, you point out a very profound yet subtle difference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and I think of it when, when you say, if there was no reason mm-hmm. to do these things, I didn't want them done. Yeah. that's a That's a distinct difference from saying, I don't want them done. I yeah. don't care. Yeah. And I think a lot of providers hear the latter regardless. Yeah. They just, just hear someone saying, I don't have diabetes, I'll be fine. Right. I don't I don't want these things. Yeah. That was not you. You were not that. Yeah. But you took a very reasonable position which is just tell me, just show me. Yeah. But if it's absent, it's absent.
1: Right. Um, yeah.
0: and, and that's unique, I would say, particularly for a first time mom.
1: Yeah. I think because I'm so aware of the, like, I, it's to, to go back to my mother, you know, my mom, she likes to do everything all natural. Mm-hmm. We didn't, like, have tons of antibiotics. <laughs> we weren't in doctor's offices all the time. We were just super healthy and sure. did a bunch of natural stuff. So the fact that we came from that, yet I'm alive because of modern medicine, really is what a humbling. What yeah, yeah, because it, it creates this, like, huge swirl of, like, I obviously know that modern medicine is so, so crucial to Mm -hmm. certain situations, yet that doesn't mean that we have to just jump into it completely. Um, Just because I was diabetic doesn't mean I just embrace all medicine. I just – I'm insulin dependent and I take insulin artificially every day to stay alive, but that doesn't mean I just say – now everything about me is ruined and i can't do anything naturally yeah. i do everything else naturally <laughs> yeah so i tried that for you know pregnancy and yeah. birth too
0: said differently your pancreas doesn't work well right but your brain is just fine yeah exactly <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> pancreas is dead but <laughs> interesting yeah
0: so you have this vision for your your labor and your birth yeah um and you enter into that yeah uh, hoping walk for. us through that
1: yeah hoping genuinely hoping because even though I knew at some point it may come to the, you know, we may come to the decision that being induced is probably the best yeah. for the safety. And knowing that I may get to that point, still hoping that I would just naturally go into labor before that moment because I wanted the feeling of naturally going into labor. Right. Um, and so honestly, I will say to this day, one of the hardest moments was my first induction, which is very interesting because. Nothing actually went wrong. Um it wasn't really a, you know, crazy traumatic experience, but I remember them starting the induction process. Well, let me back up. Hmm. We had talked about how long can we make it? You know, essentially like how far can we go? We don't really want to go past 39 weeks because of the risk, yeah. but I was in the appointments every week, you know, everything looks good. See you next time. Everything looks good. See you next time. And I remember the moment that I was in the office and I all of a sudden was like, everything is not good. Like my blood sugar was just continually rising Mm -hmm. and I couldn't keep it down. And that was the point, the moment for me where I was thinking I've lost control of what I've been able to do in this pregnancy. And I don't, as a first time parent, know how much is okay for me to push from here on out. I don't know how much I can say, no, everything is fine because I don't know. I'm just... I'm just a human and that
0: was radically different for your really your entire medical history
1: yeah because you yeah. had
0: been so tightly controlled yeah you'd been beating the disease yeah. nicely yeah and then that represented a change
1: yeah for it so. to shift in me be, like completely not me did not be able to control it whatsoever like and no matter what I would do I, I started I was in you know 48 hours of like gnawing on carrots thinking like I can't eat anything else because my blood sugar will go up and my baby will die I mean truly there was so much fear there so when I came into that appointment um on that Friday what that was supposed to be then a week away from my induction I had said I'm not doing well because I'm a little bit nervous and I remember the nurse said I'm gonna go talk to Dr. Stroud and (laughs) she came back and said Dr. Stroud said I'm not worried about Christina, but if she's worried about her, then I'm worried about her. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So we talked about moving the induction up, but it was really just a matter of days that we moved it up. Um, But at that moment, it was just in my brain. It was time because I had known that we had pushed it as far as I felt like I was comfortable going for that pregnancy. Um, And I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And I wanted to make sure my baby was safe.
0: Now it put you in a really unique position. Mm -hmm. And I think A lot of women find themselves in a similar position, even without diabetes specifically. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean you had a clear-cut reason to be induced. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really debatable. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had very strongly held opinions and views and a vision as to how you wanted your labor to go. Yeah. So how do those two things come together? How did that
1: work? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I have worked through for years um, some slight anger with God. Because I... You too, huh? Mm-hmm, yes hmm Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, conti- I still, even though we had the induction sent, went in thinking, but I'll just go into labor the night before. Oh. I'll go into labor like hours before we make it in because God knows that I want to go into natural labor and I've been doing everything right. So yeah. he will give me this gift. And so I think that set me up for failure in the moment of I'm on the bed being hooked up to the induction tools. You know, they're doing the paperwork and yeah. I'm just sobbing and my husband said uh, what's wrong and I said I don't want to be here I don't want to do this and he was mm-hmm. like wait he's still so confused you know like oh, what but we're doing this and I said I just thought I was gonna go into labor and uh, I truly did not ever wrap my brain around being induced because I kept holding on to the hope that yeah. I would push it far enough that my body would just take over and do it of course so even though I made the decision and there was medical indication I still struggled for years Um, with the idea that, like, my body still didn't do what it was supposed Mm. to do because I still needed help.
0: That same old story from since you were 14. Yes. Right. My body's broken. broken. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I had to really kind of wrap my brain around the fact that, like, just because and I'm now even just working on this, you know, just because my body itself has failed me doesn't mean I am a broken human because (laughs) every day I take insulin. So I could say to myself every day, I'm I'm broken I'm not I'm not living this life I'm yeah. not my insulin is keeping me alive but that doesn't mean that I didn't birth my baby that doesn't mean I didn't work really hard to get my baby into this world yeah. um, and just because I had that and I had to deal with the emotions of not mm-hmm. feeling like my body was capable of doing it my body was still capable of doing it it just needed a little bit of help just like the insulin helps me stay alive
0: so I think there's two paths uh, mm-hmm. two common pathways there yeah. um, and for a woman in that position, she says, well, I have to be induced. They convince me of that. Mm-hmm. So it's over. Yeah. I'll just lay here and hopefully the baby comes out of me. Right. And if not, they'll cut it out of me. Yeah. So they just completely abandon all desire to to achieve the birth that they wanted. Yeah. And then the other path um, is, okay, I have to be induced, but I'm not giving up. Yeah. I'm going to make the most out of this. Yeah. You chose the latter,
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> um, but help listeners understand how you chose the ladder and what that was like.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm thankful, again, that we were able to have your care team to ho- sort of help me champion the like caring for my own blood sugar, because sometimes hospitals will be a little bit yeah. hands on and say, like, we need to make sure we're managing your diabetes for you. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I've managed yeah. my diabetes up until this point. I'm not ready to give it over to you. Um, so my <laughs> husband and I essentially were just on a team of like, Every time the nurse would look at him and say blood sugar, he would tell me what it was. If it was a little bit low, I'd have like a bite of Mm Jello. Like we would just – and I ate other food too. But like essentially just to sort of like manage it the entire time. And I just thank God to this day. Like my blood sugar was literally in perfect range (laughs) for the entire 48 hours (laughs) of induction Mm -hmm. until the baby was there. And um, yeah, we just – it was a beautiful like – Even though I was struggling with the induction experience, it was a beautiful experience. And I was able to be, like, happy and healthy and whole bringing my baby into this world. And she had perfect blood sugar. She (laughs) did not have to go to the NICU. Uh I remember the doctor telling me that um, there was no calcification on my placenta. So there was, like, no issue with any sort of, you know, indications of things going wrong. And so I was just, like, even though I was kind of, like, beaten down in the beginning, I was, like super proud leaving that thinking we did it we did it everyone's healthy
0: and then you did it again
1: yes yes (laughs) and i would for sure say that crazy enough the second time around the pregnancy was exponentially harder exponentially harder because of that mental that mental struggle with um am i going to be able to do this now i have another life depending on me and i'm walking through this And I don't know if I'm going to pass out in my kitchen because I'm throwing up and I don't know if I can go through, you know, the hope of not going into labor again because I still was hoping this time I'll go into labor. Um, And I actually hired uh, this is an important I actually hired a birth doula for my second pregnancy and am now a birth doula um, because and I would say like one in part for you championing championing women to just um, be empowered as they walk Mm. through their their pregnancy journeys and I wanted to walk alongside other moms during Mm. that I wanted to make sure that they knew Um, even if they didn't have a provider that was necessarily doing that for them, that they could either find one or they could still do it on their own, Um, specifically with a chronic illness or high risk diagnosis. So I hired a doula for my second and it was just life-changing to be able to have, I still had an induction. Um, We pushed it out farther even than we did the time before (laughs) and it was awesome, but it was so much more of a natural induction experience. I know that sounds silly because induction is (laughs) not natural, but I had a lot more control. Over mm. the situation. And I know a lot of times people talk about like um, perceived trauma and how essentially even if your experience is good, the lack of control can make someone feel like it was traumatic. Yes. And so more things actually, quote unquote, went wrong during my second than mm. my first did. But if I look at both of them, I would say my first was more traumatic than my second just because oh. of how my how I felt. Yeah, I felt out of control of my first experience because I was just like, well, this is happening to me. And we're just going to have this baby. Yeah. Whereas the second time, every single time we were doing something, I was breathing through it. I knew what was happening. I knew, mm. and I, I was a second time parent, so I knew to, what to expect, but I knew this is what's going to happen if we break my water. Let's wait four hours. Yeah. You know, let's make sure that I'm contracting a little bit more on my own first. So we did, and it still took a long time, but we did as much natural of as we how,
0: could. How do you feel like your own obstetrical experiences mm. influence your practice as a birth doula?
1: Yeah, I would, say par- I would say part of it is hard for me because I have to walk through my own fears hmm. as I'm walking alongside of people. Not my own fears of what will happen to them, but my own fears of like if I see something, um, will that happen to me uh, if I try to do this again? Or sure. are they feeling the same things I felt in this moment? Because I don't ever wanna put on them feelings that they don't feel. Sure. So we talk a lot, especially if I have someone with a high-risk illness, um, we talk a lot about their perception of their illness and wh- how it feels to them. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't have any, like, medical past trauma, I'm not going to give them my medical trauma. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I don't want to make them feel like, oh, your body's broken because... But yeah. if they feel that way, then I want to come alongside of them and say, it's not. And here's how I can help you feel like it's not because I worked through this too. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting because as I... As I work with people who are just very low risk and have all natural experiences, I think that some would think I would feel negatively oh. towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't because. I know that my role in their journey is completely different than what my role in a journey of a high-risk pregnancy, specifically even a type 1 diabetic. I've had the pleasure of supporting three type 1 diabetics, Um, and it's just been wonderful to be able to walk through that and have them look at me and me look at them, and we just know. She's worried about her blood sugar in her baby, and I'm worried about her blood sugar in her baby, so yeah. much so that we're both crying because we <laughs> both get it. Yeah. And there's a certain level of getting it that nobody else gets. Um, yeah. And so that You helps. know,
0: it seems to me that I mean, your issues are unique on the one hand. On the other hand, they're actually pretty universal.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: you yeah. th- And I know you've seen this with non-high-risk and high-risk laboring moms as a doula but they're really the same issues, aren't they? It's fear. Yeah. It's, it's a fear of lack of control. Yeah. It's a fear of, can, is it possible for me to do this yeah. and survive, yeah. um, and those are, those are universal feelings. Yeah. Um, your medical condition made it maybe a degree more interesting yeah. or unique, but yet, at the same time, um, the trauma comes from not dealing well with those fears yeah um, and, and you did so beautifully and you do so beautifully at helping other women do that as, as a doula
1: yeah I definitely want like that's my essentially my goal for anyone that I come across even if it's not a client of mine but just like yeah. a diabetic themselves who's walking through or just someone who doesn't have you know the feeling of empowerment moving forward with trying to get pregnant um, to educate themselves prior to to getting pregnant, to know that they can work through some of that fear before they're faced with the fear and to understand that like you have more control than you think you have. You have more options than you think you have. You have care teams that will come around side you and make you feel like you can do this. Um, And you don't have to just be put in a box of Mm. chronic illness that you feel like you're placed into because you can definitely feel most days like you're put into a box that because this is your law in life, this is what the rest of your life will look like and you can't you can't break out of that or yeah. thrive
0: maybe specific to that subset of women who have a chronic illness yeah. diabetes or otherwise how would you advise them to go about finding that right kind of care team yeah uh, how did do, what does that look like
1: yeah i definitely would say have prenatal appointments with them. Before you're pregnant, go and talk to doctors. Pre-pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. sorry. Pre-pregnancy, go talk to doctors and say, how would you care for me? What is your feeling about type 1 diabetes and Mm. pregnancy and birth? Do you feel like it's a safe thing or do they have their own fears? Because if the doctor has their own fear, that's gonna portray Fear on you, sure. Um, And so I honestly too, just like I have a, I'm a huge believer in like your intuition and your gut feelings and how the Holy Spirit leads you in a moment, and to know that you feel like it. It wasn't necessarily that you said anything profound in that appointment. You said you can do. That's because I never say anything (laughs) profound. (laughs) You said you can do this. You can do this. But it was the feeling that I knew I was safe and cared for and um, confident. And I just walked out f- knowing that feeling, and yeah. I think that you can have that feeling, and it can be different for different people. Yeah. I know that people have providers that they feel that with that I don't feel that with, sure, and that's good for them because yeah. they've had conversations that have made them feel
0: yeah. safe. A question or a tool that that I like, uh, and it's not unique to to high risk pregnancies, but to say, you know, these are the things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever cared for someone that had these things that were important to yeah, them? Yes. And if so, tell me about it. Yeah. And if you get the proverbial eye roll, mm-hmm. um, you're probably in the wrong place yeah. because yeah. you've said, this is the universe of things that are important to me. Yeah. If the other person is essentially saying, well, those aren't important to me. Yeah that relationship's not going to be fruitful. Yeah. And I think you all. make a great point. It's going to be different for every single person.
1: Yeah. Um, Which is hard for me to wrap my brain around because of course when I think like, these are the people that help me, I'm thinking these are the people that are going to help everyone. But I have to remember that everyone's experience is completely different yes. and they have different feelings. And they also had a different background. Just because they're mm-hmm. type 1 diabetic doesn't mean they have the same feelings about their diabetes yeah. or had the same care from their diabetes growing up or had the same issues with doctors. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of just like meet them where they're at and say i've experienced this stuff and i can help you walk alongside of that or whatever other feelings that you're feeling because i know that you're feeling you know a sense of what unknown you're feeling a sense of unknown moving into it as anyone would with a pregnancy but the the blood sugar management part is just so um overwhelming and it's overwhelming in motherhood too i mean you continue to then say i am sacrificing time with my kids time with my Mm -hmm. you know significant other to make sure that my blood sugar is managed. Um, and that's hard.
0: <laughs> I know there is uh, a young woman listening mm-hmm. who has a chronic medical condition, maybe insulin-dependent diabetes, mm-hmm. who's sort of thinking, I I don't know, maybe I'm broken. Yeah. Um, what do you say to her? What's, the, what's the, the takeaway for young women who desire pregnancy as you did
1: yeah.
0: um, but are struggling with a chronic illness?
1: Yeah. I would just say, first and foremost, obviously, remember that you, just because you have a broken part of your body does not mean you're broken as a whole. Um, And that just because that piece is broken doesn't mean the rest of you is weak. It actually makes the rest of you stronger. Um, It makes you more in tune with that portion of your body. I feel like I'm in tune with my body so well because I have to be because I'm my own pancreas. And so walk through that knowing that you've been given – it's hard. It's super hard to have this outlook – but you've been given a gift that you know more about your body. Not everyone knows all this about their blood sugar. Mm. I know so much about my body. And I've been given that gift. And I'm thankful that other people are also given that gift. That even though it may seem like a curse, like use it as a blessing. It's something that you've been given that you can in turn eventually walk alongside of someone else with. When you feel like you're at the point where you, you're championing it. You can walk alongside someone who doesn't feel that. And so look into the little pieces that it's given you. The chronic illness has given you friends that you may not have, given you opportunities that you may not have, given you outlook on life that you Mm. may not have, um, given you feelings and emotions that you may not have dealt with just because you're dealing with them because of your chronic illness. And do research, too. I mean, like, look into it because don't just take blanket statement. If I would have taken the blanket statement, I would have had a C-section at 37 weeks. Uh. And I wouldn't have looked into what it would have been like to be empowered into this experience of, I can do this. I can move forward with health and thriving in pregnancy and knowing that there's even more for me than what we have, you know, like even the next time it could be better. I could still go into natural labor. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that, I just think there's so much more than people, people limit themselves Mm. um, because they feel like they're put in that box. And and they feel like they're put in that box for a reason because I, I, I know the feeling of feeling like you're in that box. Because the box feels a little bit safer than breaking out of the box. Mm. Breaking out of the box is a little bit scary, but it's it's definitely more empowering.
0: Well, I think the fact that you could sit here with us and describe juvenile onset, insulin-dependent mm-hmm. diabetes as a gift, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the gift in, a, in, a, in its own right.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely thankful.
0: Mothers that are interested and you or someone like you
1: uh,
0: as a supportive birth doula, how do they find someone like you?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, there's plenty of organizations out there that you can go to to kind of like interview your own birth doula as well, because I would say that's something that's huge, too, like you just because I have the past of that kind of chronic illness that I can walk through with someone, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to be the best fit for you as a doula. Um, but if you want to look into interviewing doulas, there are like meet meet your doula organizations. You sure. can have, you can like sort of interview them and see if they're a good fit for you. Um, and I would say, yeah, making sure that that person also recognizes what your wants and your needs are for your birth. Um, and that they're available and capable of like helping you be empowered walking into that birth experience Mm. but interviewing for sure making sure that they're the right fit because you can have someone that's not the right fit and that doesn't make it a good experience
0: and specifically how could listeners contact you for your services yes
1: Um, birthing you doula is my name um, because i feel like as a mother is or you know as a baby is born so too is a mother um and so the experience is you being birthed into motherhood um so birthing-u.com and then um at birthing.u doula i think on instagram i'm trying to remember the name of it for sure but yeah on instagram so facebook instagram website Um, And I'm also a birth photographer along Mm. with that. So I take pictures of the experiences as well.
0: We may have to come back and do another episode just (laughs) on photography. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Thanks for sharing your amazing story.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, uh, listeners, I I hope you've enjoyed uh, the story of this journey as much as I have. Um, Do you have a chronic illness? Maybe you have endometriosis. Maybe you have lupus. Maybe you've got insulin-dependent diabetes like my guest. Um, Do you feel like it defines you at times? Uh, A a lot of women would say yes. But I hope if nothing else, from listening to this amazing young woman, that you realize there is much more to you uh, than a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a woman, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, You're a daughter of the king. Don't let a diagnosis rob you of a moment of that uh, joy. Well, uh, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? A story like Christie's or uh, a very unique, completely different story? We'd love to hear from you. You can contact me directly, 260-450-8878. I'd love to hear your story uh, and we'd love a chance to tell it. A special thank you to our friends here at Spoke Street Media, without whom this podcast would be impossible. You can hear an amazing collection Uh, of content at SpokeStreet.com. So please check them out. Well, thank you again for joining us here at All Things Women's Health. I'll be back with another episode. uh, And until then, thank you for joining us. Please like and subscribe, and get your friends to listen to us as well. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud.